You're listening to episode 165 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, I'm I'm worried. Um, so Star Wars ended this week. Mandalorian ends next week. Watchmen ends next this week, right? And and Doomsday Clock just ended. Everything's coming to an end. Is this the last episode of the Comics Pals? One can only hope. Oh, God, I hope so. Well, Phil, uh, Dr. Manhattan's calendar actually only goes to 2020. So, <laughs> Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I hope it's not the last episode. Because if it is, I mean, I, I think that means it's probably because we're all going to be dead. Oh, man. Sean, I don't want to lose you as my friend, buddy. Everyone else, I don't care. Well, I feel I feel you on that, but oh, fuck man, um, all these all these fake fans on the podcast don't know that the true answer, Phil, is that nothing ever ends. Ooh. Well, I mean, you gotta think at some point, Ozzy Doctor Manhattan was invaded by Ozzy Mendez, so the calendar just kind of stops. Invaded. Right? Yeah. Like how <laughs> he was invaded. Well, I mean, you... <laughs> the man was invaded, Sean. You read, you read, you read both books. You watched the. Sh- we did a podcast about the show. I, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? How was he invaded? Like, and that just stopped time for him. Like, it, like that just what? ended. At, what? What? Well, similar to how you know the 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 Aztecs were were invaded by the uh, the Spanish and yeah. So eventually, they just stopped making a calendar. <laughs> Listen, so Manhattan. All I, mean, time, all, all, Manhattan all I time, gotta say is, I'm just, I'm just glad that that Kale didn't say when he when they were invaded by the Mexicans or something like that. So time Listen, out, folks. I'm time hold out. on. I'm I am an idiot, but yep. I'm not that stupid. Mm, didn't you? What did you, what was it that you you thought Marco was Mexican, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, fifty episodes ago. <laughs> he also no, just last week on the Watchmen on. show thought that. <laughs> The whole I don't even watch the show, and I know that all of the ancient characters are Vietnamese oh, or South you, Korean oh, yeah. or whatever. Do you is. know that, or do you know that because I was corrected on the show and definitely hold on. Uh, was, I edited no, 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 no. the show, so I know. Folks, I know. Folks, I listened, mm, folks. Sean, I listen when Sean talks. In. Yes, let me wrinkle you. What in. I hear is two white people arguing about which one of them <laughs> is less aware. Hey, let me just add this. Yikes. Yeah, so hold on. Mm-hmm. Pete, of course, <laughs> you know what race the Asian characters in Watchmen are without watching. You are oh, yeah. the East Thank Master. You. And Kale, you I love that you're like, yeah, the Mayans who lived like 6,000 years before the Aztecs, they were invaded. And that's why they and stopped the, making a calendar. Uh, Phil, uh, it's the Maya. Sorry, you're right. It is the Maya. We learned that's that last true. week. That's <laughs> true. Oh boy. All right. So now that we've proven how uh, dumb we all are, let's start the show. Uh, And we're going to start it by me letting you all know where you can find us on the internet if you for some reason want more of this. Uh, We are the Comics Pals all over the place. You can catch us on social media at the Comics Pals. If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you are right now, just type us in on Google. We'll come up. If we're not on the platform you want, uh, at Mr. Marco Adamoto, yell at him, uh, not me. I, I don't care what you have to say. Um, just kidding. And also, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com with your thoughts about anything that you feel like talking about. 
Uh, if you're on YouTube right now, thank you very much for watching us on that platform. Subscribe to our channel and click the notification bell so that you are made aware of any time we drop new content. Uh, we've got the show rolling out every week for you guys and um, YouTube exclusive content on the way and, and, and back catalog stuff too. If you're a YouTube loyalist, don't worry because we will be hooking you guys up with some of our best shots from the last year. Um, book clubs, we've got the Watchmen book club out tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Monday, if you're not, it's out already. So enjoy. Uh, we've got tons of book clubs, you know, that you guys can check out from the past. I can't remember a single one right now. So, uh, you know, go look at the list. They're all there. We don't even need to tell you. Um, and yeah, so want to let you guys know that we already recorded the review to Doomsday Clock that will that will be the end of the episode. We did that to keep Marco around for it. He's going to leave soon. Um, so, you know, stick around for that. Uh, we're also going to be reviewing Marauders, and there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So uh, let's jump right into... Let's jump right into the Palace Pools. This is a weird week because of Christmas, so very sparse on the polls, which is nice because this past week was massive. Uh, We had the end of Tom King's Batman, we had the end of Doomsday Clock, we had the end of of, uh, Scott Snyder's Last Night on Earth, Batman Last Night on Earth, Um, just, just a ton of releases. I don't know if I've ever pulled more books in a single week, it was crazy. Um, so for this week, a lighter week, we're just going to kind of talk about some of us have books that we chose, but otherwise we'll talk about books that we're reading right now that we're really into. So, um, Marco, why don't you start? Uh, so I just wanted to shout out Lock and Key as a book that, uh, I recently discovered this year and I absolutely consumed. Um, like I, I I think in the span of maybe four months, I read like volumes one through 10 and some of the, some of the, like that long. Yeah, I'm a slow reader. What, you didn't like it? I'm a slow reader. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy that you read all 10 volumes, like, right in a row, like, that yeah. in a year. That's, yeah, you definitely got into it. Mm-hmm. And and some of the extra, like, content that they had, they had, like, another two one-shots and some other stuff. So, uh, just a shout-out to that book. It's That's, excellent uh, horror. Joe Hill, right? Yeah, Joe Hill. Excellent horror. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. Yep. Um, so go check that out. Please talk to me about it. I absolutely adored it. Also, a show coming out on Netflix in February. Yes, a show coming out on Netflix. That is true. Uh, go check out Hill House, um, the DC imprint. So, you know, a lot of stuff around Joe Hill. My dude's coming up right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So would you recommend it to, say, me? Absolutely. Oh, uh, Sean, uh, you like your yeah. horror shit? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, awesome. you will you will devour this series. Yep. It's so good, dude. Awesome. All right. Well, I've I've been wanting to, to read Joe Hill, so I might have to take you up on that. Volume one, you will um, not put it down. Nice. How about you, Pete? Uh yeah, so the book that I read most recently that I, I wanted to give a shout out to was uh volume two of Life is Strange, which I've called out a few times on this show. Um I'm not one for like comic adaptions, you know, usually. Um, but for whatever reason, like the creative team, I think really just gets the voice of the characters so well that it feels, I think I feel very akin to how you felt when you talked about the Buffy series recently, where yeah. it just, it feels like the, like that world. And 
Um, I'm really, I'm actually playing Life is Strange 2 now for the first time, which is cool, but it's a different cast of characters, so it's nice to have a place to go and, like, continue my, uh, the story with those characters, and the first volume, like, established a really crazy new status quo, and, like, getting to actually see that through in this volume was interesting, especially because I was kind of wondering if it was going to have a moment like that every volume, but it seems like we're sticking in this, you know, um, in this lane at least for another volume or so, which is cool with me because there's a lot of really, really interesting character implications. And um, and I, I've, I've just – it's been a really, really enjoyable series. And I, I think uh, it's – it seems to be doing pretty well, which is good um because i i really hope that it's a book that sticks on for a while and uh it's um it's one from titan you know and i know they do a lot of uh they do a lot of these these video game adaptions and stuff and i i know we've talked about some of their struggles in the past and everything um but yeah it's it's been a a really consistently enjoyable ride and um there's a lot of care and thought put into the book and getting the voices of the characters right and the new characters that have been introduced are um, interesting and don't feel like intrusive or 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 you know so it's 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 really exactly what I'm looking for as a as a fan of the original so I uh, it's a book I I've really loved this year and I'm really looking forward to the next volume as well. Cool. So Kale chose a uh, Dial H for Hero Volume One. Man, so this is one DC property that I cannot believe I get to talk about at the end of 2019 i never thought i would see the light of day when this book would come back so dial h for hero is about um it's about this device that lets you turn into a superhero uh but it's completely random full stop like what power you get yeah like it's like well not just what power but like what superhero you turn into like okay. it's an established identity, you know, you don't turn into like Superman, but you do turn into something like Wonder Guy. Okay, I see. <laughs> but the uh the identities and the powers and and the way they're used and the conflict sort of around this uh device, the dial, um, is just it's Anytime I've ever read it, it's always been so well realized um, that it's just so compelling. Is um, it so? Is it compelling because the drama of the implications of that feel well explored, or is it because it's like humorous and like it's just like a good romp? Both. Cool. Uh, so so that sounds cool, man. When I when I was in high school, I was first introduced to this series and by by this point i think it had been long out of print and then they tried to just kind of reboot it to test the waters and they tried like a dark and gritty kind of um brian bolland uh run on it and somehow it was still really good um i don't remember who was on it it was so long ago but this this volume is done by uh sam humphreys and uh joe canones uh with the colors by uh, by my best friend and, and personal hero Jordan Gibson. Hey, <laughs> he does the, like you a lot. 
that's I have video proof of that, um, and I am still deeply embarrassed about it. Um, this, You're legally allowed to call him your best friend now because you have video evidence. Yeah, that's right. So, so this series is centered around uh, two runaway kids who who come upon the the dial, and they they sort of end up going through you know the the wacky adventures that two runaway kids do, but what Canones does with the art each time they turn into a superhero is absolutely next level. So he he takes like the theme of this superhero and he explores it artistically. So the page will turn into something like I think he did like a Dragon Ball Z style Akira Toriyama uh, page, and there's one. Uh, uh, they've done, oh man, they've done so many. They've done like uh, humor, you know, like Nancy Sluggo uh, style strips. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I cannot express to you how much you need to go buy this book. You're selling me on it. It sounds really fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the Longbox Boys called it uh, very reminiscent of like the 80s, like an 80s family film, like the Goonies. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, that sounds so. good to me. Nice. Cool to see Jordan getting that work too. Yeah. Yeah. He's my best friend. Did you know that? I, you know, I did. I uh, yeah, I've seen the video. How about you, Phil? Oh, I don't read comic books. Oh, okay. Yeah, it checks out. <laughs> what do you want? I just read Watchmen. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how many more books are you going to make me read? <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll tell you uh, what. You I, lose your turn. I, I, um, oh. I'll tell you what I have sitting over there that I bought a couple weeks ago that I haven't cracked open. But every time I come in here, it's like, boy, I need to crack that open today. It's uh, uh, Jeff Loeb's Challengers of the Unknown with Tim Sale. Oh, yeah. I uh, bought it at my LCIS. LCS. What's, I don't know what the I would be. <laughs> Literally <Institute>. nothing. <laughs> international oh okay um local comic international store no, we're talking. yeah great one hey shut up that's not bad uh and this is the book that i know uh broke him into the comic book industry because he's talked about it before uh when when he started writing comics instead of movies uh he was given a list of characters he was allowed to do stuff with uh, and most of the good ones were off limits because they were doing other stuff, like you know John Byrne was seeing Superman and George Perez was doing Wonder Woman and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's like, you know what? Uh, is anyone doing anything with the challenges of the unknown? And they're like, absolutely not. And uh, that's this was the beginning of of one of comics' most celebrated collaborations. So I'm I've been really excited to dig into it. I'm really glad that you um, have this thing that you're looking forward to reading, and that's cool. But when you said Jeff Loeb, I thought you were going to say Ultimatum. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Woof. And I was like, oh, man, that's <laughs> rough. I was like, dude, you have some you have some things to look forward to. <laughs> you are in for a ride. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is read any book from Jeff Loeb from the last 13 years. You don't want to watch Cannibalism? Nah, I I read that book when it came out, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, yeah. Think, special. I think that's around the time I was like, I'm done with Ultimate comic books. That was around the time that the universe was done with Ultimate comics. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, as for me, I chose Incoming number one. I got to be honest and say that. Yeah, what is that? So, okay. Incoming is Marvel's point one issue. Every year they do like a big book where they get a ton of creators on it to sort of uh, do these different chapters that explain where the where the next year of their books are going to go. Uh, centralized around a particular narrative. So in the past, they've done like uh, the one where Wolverine came back and he had an Infinity Stone and that was like this big crazy mystery or whatever. Um, different things like that. And so this is that for for the end of the year heading into 2020. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it because this year in Marvel has not really been that inspiring. And I'm hopeful that they do have more in store, better stuff in store for 2020. Um, but I thought I would take this time, since we have it, to catch up a little bit on what's happening in the X-Men books. Since we haven't really talked about a lot of them outside of Marauders and X-Men. Um, just give my quick thoughts on, on where they're at. Uh, Fallen Angels has been the most maligned by far. I enjoy it more for the moodiness and like darker elements of it in contrast to the rest of the X-Books than what's actually going on. Um, quite frankly, nothing has really happened. Uh, it's just Psylocke. X-23 and Cable on a mission to stop Apoth, which is this machine AI that Psylocke basically saved. And so it thinks Psylocke is its mother. And it has this grand plan to unite humans, mutants, and machines within itself. So it's very similar to the singularity uh, angle that happened during Powers of Ten. This seems like the the like uh, alpha version of that so that's what's going on in fallen angels uh the art's really wonky at times but uh i'm a fan of brian hill and i like what he's doing um excalibur has been real good i've been enjoying that quite a bit way more than i was when it started um rogue is still sleeping beauty apocalypse is a helpful guy <laughs> and uh Great. Shogo, actually, Jubilee's baby, turned into a dragon uh, <laughs> when they went to the what? other world. I gotta when they this went book to, back up. Like, ba- like, children are powerful in other world. And okay. so when they got there, Shogo just turned into a dragon. And it was really awesome and a lot That's of fun. That's a bad-ass baby. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Guys, if you had a baby, what animal do you think it would turn into? An owl. Ooh, good answer. Damn, that's a great choice for you. Um, I'm going to have to say blue whale. Ooh, Mine's also an interesting answer. Mine's already a cat, so. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Um, that's weird. I'm going to I'm going to say a golden retriever. <laughs> I think mine would right. be a bear. <laughs> I like all of our answers, quite frankly. Uh, Thanks. So, hey, sorry. 
Thanks yeah. for indulging me in that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're welcome, Kale. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and, and also by the way, the art is really great in Excalibur as well. Loving the art. Is that uh, uh, Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe on Excalibur? Yes, yes. Sweet. they're doing great. I love Marcus Toe. Good. I'm yeah. interested in picking that book back up. I recommend. Uh, New Mutants got really good. Like the first two issues, I was ambivalent about. The mm-hmm. third and fourth are awesome. Uh, okay, awesome. Long story short, uh, uh, shoot, uh, armor. And Glob Herman decide that they're gonna go see what's up with Beak, and um, who's Beak's uh, uh, girlfriend? They had kids together, a new X Men. Oh, uh, what's her name? Not Pixie, or is it Pixie? Uh, no, um, Angel. No, <laughs> no, maybe it could be. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, that would be different. Oh crap! I, I I'm blanking really hard, but I don't want to like stop the Tyler show. Tyler Olson's it. adding us on Twitter right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> they go. They basically decide to go see what's up with them and invite them over to uh, Krakoa. They have mad kids, and they haven't gone to Krakoa because Beak's dad is real sick. They bring the Krakoan medicine. He gets healed, except for the fact that there are these mercenaries who want to get the medicine so they can sell it on the black market so they keep everybody hostage. Are they old ladies? No, thankfully not. Um, they're actually really buff dudes with tattoos. Oh, dude, uh, me. But they have, <laughs> they have power dampening stuff, so that's why they don't get their butts kicked. Uh, but then Boom Boom, a drunk Boom Boom comes and decides she's going to save everybody because she wants an adventure. So uh, that's that's where things are left off. It's really awesome. On this podcast, at some point, I said, where's Beak at? And I finally got my answer, so I'm really happy with that. <laughs> uh, and then I think, is that all? Is there? Oh, X-Force. Uh, X-Force is good. Professor X is back. Okay. Um, and that resolved really easily. Uh, Peter Bessie's in that book, and he's awesome in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah, dude. Oh my god, it's oh. so fucking funny to me how much he and I look alike. It's it's absurd. It, yeah, it was yeah. Angel, just not Warren. It was Angel Salvador. Yeah. Yes, yes. There okay. you go. Stupid me. Um. <laughs> Yo, a funny story about the Quentin Choir thing. When I was at uh. When at NYCC this year, I was like looking for Invincible back issues on our day off, and I had someone who was like, "Oh, like Quinn is that like cosplay?" I was like, "Oh no, like this is just <laughs> this is just this me. is just me, dog." <laughs> no man, I just look like this. <laughs> I woke up like this. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's it for me on the X Men stuff. Uh, I'm enjoying it all pretty much to varying degrees, and I recommend everyone. Uh, keep up with those books. Yeah, I gotta catch up. Yeah. Speaking of the X-Men, we are actually gonna review uh, Marauders number four right now. So, last time we talked about Marauders, it was pretty clear, I think, among a majority of us that we felt the book was kind of moving a little slow, and it wasn't really focusing too much on the characters that we were most interested in. This one shifts the focus yet again, this time to Kitty Pride and Bishop. How do you guys feel about this issue? Oh, they want to fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think that that was good. Um, getting us back focused on on uh, Kate and, and Bishop is um, 
Like that is what I was interested in, right? That was, I think, kind of my big complaint uh, last issue is that it's really frustrating to have a book that has a main cast of characters that I'm interested in and then to have the third issue be a divergence to talk about you know, supporting players who I'm sure will be important later, but it felt like, okay, cool. This is necessary world building, but do we have to do this at issue three after you just left me on, you know, kind of like a a cliffhanger in two that I want to see followed up on, you know, I want to know, you know, what's going to go down with Bishop and, and is he going to accept this position? If he does, how all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that we got back to that this time around. Um, but it, it, it still felt a little bit uneven to me, I guess. Like, I, I feel like the book is feels really unfocused after a strong start. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to put it. I, I also feel there is something off about this book that I just can't quite put my finger on. It feels... Something about it almost feels almost flippant like the stuff that's happening does it doesn't really feel like it matters yet sure you know like i i I feel like this stuff this issue would have been a great issue too but because but they yeah yeah but it, it feels like we should be further along by now right like yeah 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 and i kind of feel i kind of feel like the dialogue it just it's sort of None of it really feels, I guess, worthy of what should be going on. Like, there's no gravity here, so I don't really feel like I should care. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed this issue probably more than both of you, but I certainly understand where you're coming from, Kale. I, let that, me be clear. I, I, I enjoyed this a lot more than the last two. Yeah, yeah. I, I also don't wouldn't say that I I disliked it. I still just I feel like it needs to. I feel like it needs to get on track. I think what Kale said about this feeling more like an issue two is is very astute, because I I it's not that I dislike anything <clears throat> that's happening or that I'm not interested in where it's going. I just feel like it's like, can we kind of get there already? You know, like I I just. I, I feel I, I guess I feel like issue three really wasted a lot of time for me. The fact that this so the, is a quarter of the way into the story feels kind of crazy. So the book was was centralized on two separate premises. One was that Kitty and the Marauders would be rescuing people, mutants who want to go to Krakoa, giving them that opportunity. And then the other one was high drama among the Hellfire Trading Company and whatever Emma Frost machinations would be behind the scenes. And we've seen those things happen, but we haven't really seen an arc with those things. So, like, this issue has uh, the Marauders rescuing some mutant children. I really like that scene. I like seeing Storm be a badass. All that's cool. But it's disjointed from the rest of the issue, and it's very much like, okay, this is the fourth issue, and I think probably every issue except maybe the third, we've seen a scene like this. 
So what is it going to feel like that is relevant? Like, it's relevant. I understand why they're doing it. But we could just as easily assume that off page, they're doing this all day. So why do we need to see it? It's the well, same thing every time. And it feels it, like... Yeah, it's it, like... Go ahead, Kel. It feels like in the um, the uh, the fucking the letters or whatever, the, uh, the what replaced the infographics for this book, it feels like more happens in that than in the actual book. Mm, yeah, like, that's as in as in we're getting more information about what is going on yeah about like what what they're doing means yeah yeah you know and, and i guess that makes sense in some ways because I, I think the idea that like the personal on the deck view of what the marauders doing is definitely going to be perceived a lot differently than you know how that appears to like a world power that's worried about what their next move is and everything so like i think that's a fine choice um but that being said i don't i don't feel like just getting these like glimpses of of them doing this thing to to you know no real end is like a good use of what is a compelling concept in a cool cast and you know i i think one of the things that sean will often challenge us to do when we're critical about an, a series like this is like, well, what would you do differently? And the first thing that came to mind to me when I was reading this is like, like, why isn't this story, at least the Marauder side of things, right? Like the whole like Hellfire Club of it all is something that like, I feel like can take time to develop, you know, as like Kate making her decision and choosing Bishop and how those things play out like interpersonally affects the pacing of that story. So I'm cool with that kind of being on the back burner. But for like the promise of what the Marauders are supposed to be doing, like, I don't know, like what, like what if there was one, they go to one of these countries and they find that there's like, you know, there's some kind of mutant like trafficking going on, you know, they're selling these people as weapons on the black market or they're using them as slaves in fucking mines or something like that. And like we get into a conflict with, a point and that furthers Bishop and Kate's relationship. So he's willing to take the gig. So that pushes forward that narrative. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm not asking for something fucking revolutionary here. It's just like, I feel like issue one built a lot of fucking momentum for me. I loved issue one and issue ones are usually like whatever. And I feel like it immediately set a tone. It told, it told me where Kitty's at and how she, how, who she wants to be as Kate and how that's different and how that plays into Emma's plans. And she's got this great cast of characters who we like, who love her supporting her. Like, great, cool. Take them on a fucking adventure already. Like, what are they doing? You know? What about you, Phil? It's, it's just, it's just not, it's like a nothing book, you know? Like, there's no heat right now. Yeah, there's no heat, and some sometimes in 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 in, in a story, even when there's nothing happening or or the plot itself is bad, you can get behind the characters because the characters are interesting and the characters keep you engaged. And there's a lot of great stories like that. Hell, most comedy engines are driven by interesting dynamic characters, and the plot is completely in the back but here yeah and and in this it's neither like 
on paper, the characters are interesting. I like them historically. But the way Jerry Duggan writes them, I don't care. Well, I understand that as a 69-year-old man, it's probably really hard for him to... Oh, God. Connect with the youth. Yeah, yeah. He's no, just so just old. His Wikipedia page says he's 69 His for some reason. age is the sex Somebody's number. Somebody's trolling him. Nice. Thank you. Um, so, I, I like yes, to imagine that, that Jerry Duggan did that himself. Like, just as a joke. Like, he went and changed it on Wikipedia. He's like, <laughs> I can see it. Maybe. Go ahead, Marco. Oh, um, I mean, for, for the issue, I think it was fun. Uh, at at the very least, it, it was something that, you know, like, I could ride along with. Um, and I did, I started thinking that maybe, you know, outside of this just being, okay, the Marauders as picking up people who uh, picking up other mutants and, and bringing them back and, you know, sort of like uh, evangelizing the rest of them to, to come and join. Um, I wonder to whatever extent this might be also just part of a larger plan to, to what we saw here with, with the issue where the, um, I'm forgetting her name, but the, the, the leader of, Oh, the the other Hellfire Club. No, 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 no. Um, so like whenever when she's in the Taipei Square, so um, oh, oh. Like, like, like I'm assuming that these that the Marauders are also, um, being political agents and like so like outside of them visiting because they visited I think Brazil in the first issue or something like that, and then here they visited Brazil again. Um, and then now they're in within China and like ruining these ruining these political and global socio-economic stuff that might have larger ramifications for whatever's going on. Like, I, I think that the the issue itself sets up some of these threads for me in terms of it connecting to, like, a larger, grander story that maybe ties back to whatever Hickman is. Because, like, right now, it, it feels too small to, to matter. So, like, I, there has to be something more at, a, like, a bigger scale that it has to account for, I think. I mean, and to that point, there are eight more issues, right? Right. There's still a lot of time for it to go bigger. Yeah. It does feel, though, that all of these issues of these series that are varying degrees of fun and interesting are sort of running on a treadmill. And they're waiting for the main story to advance so that they can advance. Which is a little bit weird. But uh, there were just two last points I wanted to make about this book. So one of them is that uh, the infographics have gotten really aggravating. Because they are they're doing things and talking about things that I'd like to see. Yeah. And this is not the most egregious uh, instance of that. It's in, I think it's X-Force. I, I got really annoyed. I believe it was X-Force where it was just like, you're talking about stuff I want to watch. Um, and they're just not showing us. Like, for example, in this issue, uh, the first... Uh, no, it's not the first one. It's one of the other ones. But it... it, it refer Actually, it is the first one. It references a character who, if you've been paying attention, his name will, will be uh, relevant to you. Jumbo Carnation. Jumbo Carnation was referenced by the Sinister Facts 
way back in powers as a guy who was dead and he was uh he was seen and that was a big deal because he was known to be dead and he's not a powerful mutant he's just a fashion designer and it says that emma frost has taken him to go and buy clothes and that sounds like it's literally meaningless, but it's not. Because remember that outside of Krakoa, no one knows that the mutants can resurrect themselves ad nauseum. So for him to be alive is actually very big, but they don't show that. And it's so weird to me that you would neglect to show something like that, but you would tell me. In a medium that is literally all about show, don't tell. So that really, really got on my nerves. Yeah, I think it's it's frustrating seeing them be misused that way because I think what we praised Hickman for so much in House and Powers was that they were used to explain things that would be fucking obnoxious as dialogue. You know? Like or things that you can't communicate through dialogue. And like that should be the purpose of them is to you know, like the the files and stuff like that. It's like, okay, cool, like this allows him to give us exposition as a narrator uh, without like having it have to impact the story or have other characters react to the information that we need, you know, like the Moira timeline or something like that is something that like made sense of something complex and we were able to reference it over and over again as a tool to understand the work. Whereas with something like that, like you are just summarizing events that, should arguably be part of the book. Yeah. Uh, anyone else have anything on this book? I thought the art was was solid. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Good. yeah. No, absolutely. No, uh, is... no weird uh, racial coloring. Huh. This yeah. is like the third artist. I feel like yeah. in four issues. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I, 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 th- I, I think I, this is my favorite one so far. That's what, exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. Lucas Warnick, by the way, on art with uh, Federico Blee as the color artist. So yeah, good stuff on that end. Do we know what the deal is with that? Is this are they saying around, or is it was this like a stopgap <laughs> thing? The, the, this is a mess, is what it is. Yeah, not artistically, but the fact that they have to keep rotating artist teams. It's, it's bad. I hope they stick with this team, though. I I, I really do think they did some good work on this one. I'm positive that the only reason that they've swapped art teams so many times is simply because it takes really long to do this. These books come out every two weeks. It's, just, it's, a, it's literally impossible for a comic book artist to put out this kind of work in tw- uh, two weeks, every two weeks. No, it's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah. But any other thoughts about the book or are you guys ready to move on? I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still in, but it's I'm getting a little frustrated. I don't know. I'm kind of pissed off. I think Marco should get the fuck off this call. Ouch. Damn. All right. Uh, I mean, shit. I'm just here trying to give my opinion, Phil. No. Go. Leave. All right. Okay. With that, y'all should try banana ketchup. What the fuck? <laughs> Google it. It's good. Google no. it. It's <laughs> good. Don't leave me I'm there. I'm fucking disturbed what, by that. What the that? hell are you don't talking even. about? I don't want this. <laughs> but but now I have to have it. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we went to a Filipino party yesterday. They make this dish that 
with uh you know how you can make spaghetti and if you don't have tomatoes you can make you put like ketchup in it instead to use for tomato sauce well, no whatever it's no, like Marco, it's like you don't do that i know you don't Marco, do that but like if you need it pals we don't know shit about that don't <laughs> just assume what we know banana ketchup i thought we so, talked but, about so you use on this so show. you use the banana ketchup in filipino oh, spaghetti yeah. instead of tomato ketchup and it's delicious <laughs> i i hate this Can well, we, what is can, banana bye, Marco. sorry you have to leave we love you bye, bye. have fun with the news <laughs> shout out to exo man war bye okay bye Christ. Uh wow. I'm I'm now more mad at Marco than I am Jerry Duggan. <laughs> like what the what the fuck is banana ketchup? <laughs> what what was let's, that? <laughs> let's leave that in the past, right? Uh thankfully we don't have to experience every moment concurrently like Dr. Manhattan does. <laughs> and I will work my ass off to forget that that just happened. December twenty second, twenty thirty. I still don't know what banana ketchup is. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be the rest of my year, I tell you fucking what. So uh I have the unfortunate responsibility as we go into the news of reporting that Jerry uh Alanguilan Alanguilan, I believe, uh, has passed at age 51. Uh, he, yeah, that's really young. Um, he was an, an inker and a writer, but most known as an inker. Uh, he worked primarily with Lenny Yu, actually. And that's how I knew him. I knew I recognized yeah. that name. Dang. Yeah, if you read, if you ever looked at art by Lil Yu, most likely Jerry was the one who inked it because they were partners, uh, in in the, in the sense of you know working together, um, and uh, Jerry definitely brought out the best in Lil's work, and um, he, I mean he he worked on X Men, uh, obviously Superman Birthright, um, you know all all kinds of. Of, of books and who knows what he would have done in the future 51 is really young in this industry you can work for quite a bit longer than that um cb sabolsky tweeted uh saddened to learn of the passing of jerry alanguilan another wonderful person taken from us too soon an amazingly talented writer and inker mentor to younger artists and advocate for global comics the comics world and Filipino art community lost a friend and hero today. So, uh, you know, we don't have to, there's not much to say, unfortunately. Um, just thank you for your contributions to the industry on every level that you contributed and, uh, your work will live on because we can always go back and look at it and see what you did. So thank you. So, uh, Valiant is looking to start 2020 really hot. Valiant made an announcement uh, recently that they are relaunching Exo Man of War, who is their like flagship character, uh, Man of War and Bloodshot, or their two like main dudes. And so they're actually just gonna reboot—not reboot, but like like give it a fresh start. I don't really know how else to to describe it. Um, and it's going to be Dennis Hopeless, who now is going by his full name randomly. Uh, so Hopeless was not his last name. Uh, his name was Dennis Hallam. Uh, and so he's going to be teaming up with Emilio Lizo, 
for this <laughs> for this series. Uh, he said, the new series will be a fresh start for XO that draws from all of the best parts of his history without being bogged down by continuity. You learn everything you need to know about these characters and their past in issue number one, and it's full speed ahead. Season one, episode one of your new favorite action show. Where have all these characters been all your life? I'm really excited about this, believe it or not. Yeah? Yeah. And yes, and the reason is that I feel like Valiant is working really hard to establish themselves as a as a contender, as 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 someone you know, as a company to look at. Uh, they have a lot of characters under their belt that are original. It's super bold to to be like they're all superheroes. Yeah, and obviously they'll never be a Marvel or DC. They're, they're just too much. You know history there, but to be the third, that's not so bad, and they're positioning themselves really well. We've got the Bloodshot movie coming out with Vin Diesel. That, by all accounts from the trailer, looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah I I went from not giving a crap about that to being like, this looks hot. Like it looks like a solid action movie. Yeah, uh, I I love I love the trailer. I'm really into. You know what Valiant's trying to do. Um, they've also got uh, a video game deal that they're that they're doing with uh, Blowfish Studios uh, for you know games based on their characters. Uh, specifically mentioned are Bloodshot and EXO. So that that right there is a big deal because now you're gonna they're gonna be a movie, video games. You would imagine toys, right? With with a movie. Um, and comics. That's that's everything that you would expect from literally any movie, like any Marvel movie. You know, they might not have backpacks or whatever, but like, whatever. They also yeah. fucking might. Like, they eventually. might. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you said, it's it seems unrealistic to think that they'll ever like truly compete with Marvel and DC, but they don't really need to to be like you said. Like being number three is not a bad game. Like they they. If they can get multimedia projects like a film or a video game off the ground that are good, like that in this day and age is what sells comic book characters, you know, to a mass audience. Like somebody who's not a comics enthusiast who is interested in indie books and wants to read superheroes. Like that's a that's a small segment of the market. Most superhero readers are going to read Marvel and DC shit unless they get turned on to it somewhere else, right? Like, you look at how much The Boys started selling after the Amazon series, right? Like, great example. Like, people are hungry for superhero media that's not Marvel and DC. And if they can deliver stuff that feels distinct and, like, it's got its own flavor, like, it seems like Bloodshot is. Like, you look at Bloodshot, yeah, it's a superhero movie, but it's certainly not, like, anything in the MCU. Like, it's a it's a straight-up, you know... Like, it's going to be like a bloody guns out action movie, you know? And that speaks to a different audience and a different crowd. And I don't think it's crazy to think that if that movie hits, that motherfuckers will be, like, wearing bloodshot shirts or you'll see the bloodshot logo on people's cars and all that kind of crap. Like, why not? Like, that, that, I feel like that's an IP that could easily resonate in that way if it has a hit like that, that's like a mass cultural success. And like Vin Diesel is an actor who people show up to watch in big 
dumb, loud action movies. You know, like Fast and the Furious makes an insane amount of fucking money as much as people talk shit yeah, about show it. Show some respect. So it's like, that's what I'm saying, dude. It's all about family. Um, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> hell yeah, dude. My boy Han. Yeah. I, I saw some movies. Shut up. <laughs> so I just... With that in mind, I, I, I totally agree with you, Sean. Like, I feel like they are, they're getting up for the big swing. And, like, it doesn't – I don't think that they have as much of an uphill battle as it sounds out the gate. Like, it sounds tough to compete with the big dogs. But, like, if you've got movie and game deals and all that shit, like, that's how you get your IP out there. And that's what it's all about. Like, it's an IP game. It's not a, you know, like – owning uh as much of a percentage of the comics market as they do they don't need to do that you know they get you know the same level of percentage as like image does they'll be sitting pretty yeah um yeah is exo manowar cool don't know he looks pretty cool he's got a cool helmet and a gun he looks like a space guy or something i don't know (laughs) he seems cool one thing one thing about this relaunch too is that um if it goes well and people do genuinely get turned on to the character and and by proxy the rest of the valiant universe you gotta think their back catalog is gonna sell like crazy oh holy shit right like and i mean they've got because they have like sean said they have a huge amount of characters they've been doing stuff since the late 90s like yeah they've been cranking out stuff you know your mileage may vary on the on the quality but i mean i've read some of the recent stuff and it's actually pretty good. There you go. Yeah. And again, like it's it's yes, they're heroes, yes, they're superheroes, but Bloodshot is a totally different kind of hero than you would likely find in Marvel or DC. If Exo Man of War is similarly different but also cool, right there you have two characters that people could be into. And you know that's a that's a start. So I'm hopeful for the best. They do have some creators involved that are interesting. Obviously, uh, Heather Antos is working yep. on the editorial end to really uh, you know drive the ship, which is a great get for them. I feel like 2020 could be the year of Valiant, and I'm very much looking forward. That's why I uh, want to shout this out, and I will yeah, be dude. buying this book 100. I, I feel like they're they're really like on their way for a come up. Yeah. I just needed a way in. I, I needed, like, what is the way that I can start reading this? Because I have no familiarity with them, and I'm not going to buy 50 trades to get started. So, But yeah. this is that. So I'm in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of new IP, or, well, I guess that wasn't just new IP, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, Damn. No, words no. don't mean anything. No, he's good. Transition's no. good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh <laughs> Universal is teaming up with Skybound, of course, uh, Robert Kirkman's Skybound, for a movie adaptation of a book called Stealth. Now, if the book title doesn't sound familiar to you, that's probably because the book's not out yet. Uh, They have (laughs) they've inked a deal to do Stealth or do this film uh, based on Stealth, a book that will not even be out until March 11th. And is actually not being written by Robert Kirkman or drawn by executive producer of the movie, Mark Silvestri. 
So uh, the huh. creative team behind the book will be Mike Acosta, uh, Nate Bellegarde, and Tamara Bonvillain, um, which is a fine creative team. It's just not Robert Turkman and Mark Silvestri. Um, Yo, I, I love that like Kirkman's at the point where like he has enough money and clout in Hollywood that he could sell an IP like for a book that doesn't exist that doesn't even have his name on it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, the article suggests that he created it with Mark Silvestri uh, and then I guess handed it off to these creators to do the book. Okay. Which sounds to me like this was uh, the comics to movie pipeline whereby they sat down, came up with an idea that would work on film, then want to put the comic out to generate buzz, but already were talking to Universal to do this. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I, I do want to tell you guys what the premise is because I actually think it's really interesting. So, uh, no spoilers uh, for the movie, Sean. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Uh, it says, uh, for decades, stealth has waged war on crime in Detroit, but now he's taken his pursuit of justice too far. Only reporter Tony Barber knows that behind stealth's reckless behavior is an older man battling Alzheimer's, his father. A father unwilling to accept that he's no longer the hero this city needs, with enemies all too eager to force his retirement. Yikes, that's cool. I, I agree with you. That's a cool premise. Yeah. So, this is definitely a book that I'll read. Uh, or at least at least the first one, the first issue. Is it a movie that I'll see? I don't know. It's got Lee Daniels attached to direct. Uh, he directed... Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. He's producing uh, and directing. So there you go. Uh, he he did The Butler, Precious. Uh, so, you know, movies that I, you know, I didn't care about. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're excited, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, what am I going to do? Lie? Uh, <laughs> this isn't yeah, that sexy. It's called a podcast. It's what we do. Lie. Oh, you do. Yeah, I know you don't really read comics. <laughs> I've been making this shit up for 164 episodes. <laughs> yeah, why start now? Well, so yeah. That's 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 the story on stealth. Um we'll see. Um the idea of like a a superhero with like kind of a uh impairing disability, I feel like has been done before. Um I think of uh, the movie with um, Woody Harrelson as a superhero. What? Yeah, he, he, but he has like a... What movie is that? Hold on. Fuck me. Or while, while, while Phil looks that up. Um, I don't know. What, what, what attracts me to that idea is I feel like it could be a cool vehicle to kind of look at... Um, Look at the issue of degenerative illness like that, you know, and mm. what that means for children yeah. of of the parents suffering with it. I think like that's something that I haven't seen that angle specifically explored uh, through superheroes, you know, and that that's interesting. Like I like I like family drama in superheroes as well, um, but specifically that concept of like at what point 
do you as a child have to step in and, you know, um, take over for your parents and like the implications of that in a world where <clears throat> your, your parent is, you know, like has people's lives in their hands is super interesting. Um, I was interested in it as the whole journalist versus superhero thing before the familial angle was introduced there as well. So I feel like that has a lot of layers that I'm, I'd be interested in unpacking and seeing, you know, what the, what the dynamics are at play there and like how they play like out. Like Fast and the Furious, it is about the family. It's all about family, right, exactly. Uh, the Woody Harrelson movie is called Defendor, by the way. It's pretty good. Uh, oh, I remember seeing that on like Netflix or something. I don't, I've never seen it, though. That's interesting. Pretty good. Um, and I think, I think approaching a subject like this is to make it not kind of tone deaf will be a little challenging, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm excited. I'm excited for the book. I don't know about the movie, but the book, I, I want to give it a chance. Yeah, I'll check out the book, and if the book's good, then you know maybe I'll be excited for the movie. So you guys are shortly about to hear our conversation about the Doomsday Clock finale issue number 12. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to talk about the end of HBO's Watchmen series. So... We here at the Comics Palace have been doing a podcast called We Watched Watchmen, where Kale, myself, and Marco occasionally, uh, and Jess occasionally, uh, talk about the series yeah. for nine episodes. I oh, love the show. You're a douche. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, we've enjoyed it a lot. But the show's over. And one of the one of the consistent questions, because of the quality, uh, this show has really, really gotten a lot of eyes on it through the word of mouth of critics reviewing it very highly, and people who have watched it and enjoyed it telling people to the point where the ratings have have definitely gone up from where they were, which is, was at a lower point after people realized that the show was about race, uh, and a lot of the. the the, the jerks who like Watchmen tuned out because it was political. You know, I I just wanted a good old-fashioned Watchmen show that didn't explore any of this messy stuff like politics or, you know, like human issues. Like, like it's, it's a story about superheroes, guys, okay? Keep my politics out of my Watchmen. Listen, the thing the show really explores, and I think the book really explores this too, and it's the, it's the thing that a lot of people miss is that Dr. Manhattan's blue dong is so huge. Go on. It, trans- yeah. it transcends medium. That's, that's okay. a good point. And, and to that point, yeah. maybe I would watch the show if it was about family. Tokyo is. Drift. Did I do that right? Watchmen yeah. Tokyo you Drift. Did, you did, Kale. Good job. <laughs> Watchmen Tokyo Drift. Yo, I'm all in. Are you serious? Let's do it. Yo, fucking nice. uh, Dan just rolls up in a tricked out owl <laughs> racer. Yes. I'm with that. That's good, Pete. Good job. I love it. <laughs> so, again, lots of questions about whether we'll get a second season. And David Lindelof isn't so sure. He says... I'm not saying I don't want to do it or it shouldn't exist. I'm just saying, boy, every idea that I had went into this season of Watchmen. I'm going to put Damn. up my antenna, see if it's <laughs> receiving anything. If it's not receiving anything at a reasonable period of time, and I'll just say off the top of my head, and it feels completely and totally arbitrary, but like a couple of months doesn't feel unreasonable. 
January, February, maybe March, then I think we move on to your question, which is, if not me, then who? Maybe it'll continue in a year or two. Maybe they'll continue it in four years or whatever. But I want to see more, more Watchmen. I always said to them, I do see Watchmen as far ago as True Detective. They were uh, ongoing anthology shows, but each season had a design with a beginning, middle, and end that allowed subsequent seasons to feature entirely different characters or even be set in entirely different time periods. Now, I won't spoil anything, and I, I would really like to refrain from any type of spoilers, but uh, there is a, def- a, a, a pretty definitive, I would say, end resolution to the, the, the central beats of the show. What the show is talking about is resolved within the nine episodes pretty cleanly. And so could you continue it? I guess. But you would have to invent reasons to do so rather than following up naturally upon where the show leaves itself. Okay. And that for me feels clean enough that I don't necessarily need another season. And I absolutely don't want a season with these characters. I loved these characters but i would rather like do something different i love the idea of what he said with anthology like an anthology series yeah so so let me ask the two of you this and i i are you open to that would you be interested in the idea of there being a season two whether it's lindelof or not if it's with a different cast of characters rather than a sequel because i think it seems like you guys feel like it's pretty closed it's definitively done a sequel or a, a second season without David Lindelof sounds like a no-go for me because he very, very clearly has a love for Watchmen that's probably rare in this world. Uh, like, a lot of people like it. A lot of people love it. Not everyone understands it. And I don't understand it to the degree that he clearly does. He got things out of Watchmen that I never even thought about and that I never saw commentary on. So... That's the guy who should. If he drive does a season ship. two with new characters, would you be down for that? Is yeah. that something that interests you? That's that's all I want. I don't okay. want, uh, you know, to continue with these characters. Would you rather it just be done though? Uh, no. But that's because that that has more to do with the fact that I want more of what I like than sure. ever being ready for what I like to end. So okay. what? I get that. What about you, Kale? I think I'm. I think I'm on a similar page to Sean. I think uh, a sequel is pretty much a no-go, but a second season, I think I think I would be more more cautious maybe. Uh pro- I think I would be about on the same page as I was when I first saw the trailer for for this okay. season of Watchmen because when I when we saw the, tra- the trailer, I was like, yeah, fuck, okay. Uh <laughs> So you so you think if 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 Damon comes back with a vision that feels like as realized as this was ended up being for you, then you'd get in on that at that point. I and I think I think if it wasn't Lindelof, I think it would have to be someone of a, a very similar caliber. And I mm-hmm. don't I don't know who that would be. Good. That's a transition to my question. Would you guys watch it if season two was directed by Zack Snyder? No. Next question. Sean didn't answer. Bill doesn't have a next Sean question. An- he's just he's just a clown. Sean didn't answer. I assume that's a yes. Of course it is. <laughs> so, but that 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 all aside, uh, the real thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was 
Now that all the dust has settled and there was a lot of criticism, a lot of anger about this show and, and on, the, on this podcast, now that the dust has settled, do you feel like this show was worth it? Granted, Phil and Pete haven't watched it, but you know how Kale and I and Marco feel about it. You know what the critics have been saying. I personally have never read a bad review of this show. Uh, keep in mind, obviously that there are a lot of people who feel like the show, maybe even more than the than the comic, Doomsday Clock, is disrespectful to Alan Moore's wishes. So with all of that context in, in, in mind, do you feel like the show has a right to exist and was it worth it? So I think when it comes to the whole like issue with Alan Moore, like there's no he doesn't want it to be touched at all. So any whether it's a comic, whether it's a show, whatever it is, like any continuation of, of the Watchmen brand is against the, – the idea of a Watchmen brand is inherently against his wishes, right? So you got to take that with a grain of salt, and it does exist. So that is what it is, right? To that end, like you guys seem to really enjoy it, and I think particularly Kale's enjoyment of it um makes me feel as though my trepidation wasn't warranted because we were like pretty lock in step in terms of what of why it bothered us or or why I didn't want to see it and the fact that like it you know is pushing all those buttons for you guys like makes me think that I'm sure I'll get something out of it too uh just to i guess respond to that i think I do think that the trepidation is warranted, and I think it's still warranted. I think, you know, just just because we happen to get one really good season of television out of out of this um out of this property doesn't pre- you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that we very much could have gotten something like we got with Doomsday Clock. Uh, or, or way worse <laughs> or way worse you know so I think I think the trepidation was very warranted and I think I think especially in talks about a season two I I think it's still warranted uh, because I I think the you know if you if you take Lindelof away and take away that vision of an anthology series somebody else might not see it that way and HBO might not want to go that way um, I think similar to DC and and the before Watchmen series, I think, you know, they very well could just say, okay, well, fuck you, Lindelof. We're, we want Regina King and we want uh, uh, old uh, Jeremy Irons and um, we're going to make season two. Fuck you. Just as easily as DC did to Alan Moore. I think for me, what... Does, you know, the question, does Watchmen have, Watchmen, the TV show, have a right to exist? I think, I think the answer, you know, it's somebody's vision. Yes, it has a right to exist. I think, I think what sucks is the, the use of Alan Moore to promote it. Just, you know, despite his very direct wishes to not be associated with it. And I, I see what... Sorry, Phil. I just want to respond to that really quickly 
because that's been a narrative that a lot of people have have run with and i think it's very difficult to talk about a work without referencing the creator and so in interviews david lindelof definitely did bring up alan moore but it's not as it's not as though it was a suit coming down from on high to say hey guys you know, we really love Alan Moore's Watchmen and, you know, we have this idea, blah, blah, blah. It's a guy who worships Alan Moore's work saying, you know, saying that and saying he hopes that he lives up to the spirit of the book and understands all the criticism and fears involved, but that he's trying to do the best he can. Does, does, I guess, I guess, Kale, does that, does that not change the way you, because you said, you know, the, the use of his name, like, does that change things for you? I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I think it's it's a really complicated situation, and I don't think, um, I don't think there is a good answer, you know, to that. I in either scenario. Uh, okay. The dude asked for his name to be taken off and not to be associated with it. I, I don't think it's you know that difficult to respect that wish you know and that's a very black and white viewing of it i i understand but that's yeah that's that's my position on it what were you gonna say phil well for me i don't want to piss off the old wizard from up top the mountain in england i never want to piss off the old wizard he will definitely put a curse on me so i'm not going to invoke his name it's like a voldemort situation through old 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 al shut up uh, with regard to um, whether or not this show should exist or or, or should continue, um, I've heard mostly mixed things about it, um, reading things online. I know you guys really like it. Uh, I haven't seen any of it. I don't have HBO. Um, I, I, do, I do like that David Lindelof came in with a story to tell. That's, that's, we talk about this all the time with any kind of adaptation. Um, if, if you have a creative person who wants to tell a story that they have featuring, you know, popularly recognized characters that are branded under some IP, then generally I'm interested in hearing what their story is that they have to tell. Um, because he, he's dried up, I think just leaving it as is completely acceptable. You know what? I really don't have a horse in the race. Uh, I, I like I said before, because I like to get more of things I like. I would be I would happily accept a second season, but I've never seen a singular season of a show that I thought was this good. Um, because a lot of times, like, all right, yeah, the first season laid it laid it down, but then yeah, the second season was where it was at, or the third or the fourth. Rarely does it happen where you get one season, one shot. And it's like as good as it could have been almost pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it would almost be very cool to just leave it there and let that be HBO's and Damon Lindelof's statement on Watchmen. And that's that. Um, I'd respect that choice. I will probably be happy with either decision, although one of them is result oriented, right? Like if, if the second season sucks, then obviously I will say after that, well, gosh, I wish they didn't do this, 
But if it's great, then it will be warranted. So uh, I think the safest bet would be to do nothing. Yeah, and I, I'm always sort of a proponent of leaving well enough alone. You want to remember things fondly. It's the whole Dark Knight thing where you know you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Kind of, kind of feel that in my soul with things. And what a what a what property could more reflect that accurately? Because it's it's I I forget which one of you guys said it, but like a Watchmen season two could just as easily become like a you know ridiculous. Like, this is what we were afraid of type of situation. Right. If yeah. it's not handled by exactly the people who handled this. so Or or people with similar understanding of the source material and, and, and respect. Yeah. This, this yeah. is the Watch Babies. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead, Kill. I was just going to say, I think ultimately, just based on the show as it stands, if if they go through with a second season... I will be uh, trepidatious about it, but uh, they've earned, they've at least earned my watch. I'll at least try it. Yeah. Agreed. And uh, just as a, as a, as a reminder, uh, if you, if you've enjoyed, we watched Watchmen, our podcast on that, that show, we do have one more episode where we're going to look at, all of the Watchmen media that we've recently consumed and, you know, play them against each other and sort of see where does HBO's Watchmen stand as a sequel to the original, but also as a companion piece to Doomsday Clock. When are you guys recording that? Phil, you should uh, come over and watch it for nine hours with me in one uh, sitting. I know how much you love to binge watch TV. uh, (laughs) Well, uh, if... If there was interest on on the part of you guys to be a part of that, then that would change things. But uh, we were we were looking to get that out pretty soon. So, yeah, don't worry about me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look forward to that and uh, watch the show. I think I think whatever you feel about Watchmen, uh, this show is not Watchmen. And so if you have problems with Watchmen, that doesn't mean you will have the same problems with this show. In fact, I would hazard a guess that you probably would have the exact opposite feelings if you had problems with Watchmen. That is going to take us into our review of Doomsday Clock number 12. So, the moment has finally arrived. The Comics Pals have assembled to review Doomsday Clock, number 12, two plus years later. Oh, is that, is that all? Uh, yeah. It's 2017. I'm reviewing Doomsday Clock. It's 2018. I'm reviewing Doomsday Clock. It's 2020. I'm still reviewing Doomsday Clock. What's, what's cool is with all the Watchmen content we've been doing, I've been able to make that joke three times. I gotta say, it's it's worked for me every time, though. Yeah, it's yeah. a good fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, anyone who's listening knows that this book has been a long time coming. Uh, we've waited because of art. We've waited because of 
Uh, Jeff Johns, actually, we've waited for every reason you can imagine, but uh, it's finally here, and I am so excited to talk about Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brett Anderson, and uh, Rob Lay's Doomsday Clock number 12. Boy, oh boy. What happened, huh? Yeah, let's let's jump right into it. Before we even, like, really dive in, I actually want to start with the artwork. Okay, yeah, I think that's fine. Gary Frank draws a hell of a Batman. He draws a hell of a everybody. He draws a hell of a comic book. Yeah. Yeah, but I like this Batman. This book is absolutely phenomenal looking. Yeah, front Um, to back. I I thought, um, especially the way that he kind of recreates moments that are so iconic from Watchmen, Mm -hmm. and they feel... They feel like they strike a really good balance between honoring those scenes, but also kind of giving us a different perspective on them. You know, like they don't feel atonal from the original, but it also clearly has his style. Right. Which is like, a, that's a tough balance to strike, I think. Yeah, that's super hard. You're basically emulating another artist in your own style, but it has to cut through that. This has been something like, to what you just said, like you feel that. you And that's a, that's a huge strength for... Uh, it's just, it's just a huge strength for this issue for this book mm-hmm. it's not even Absolutely. just like it's not even just like dave gibbons like uh you see it with the paneling from like rags mm-hmm. morales and action comics number one from 2011 mm-hmm. like sure. where 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 uh, the where the kents die and he like recreates that paneling pretty pretty like absolutely. yeah like really effectively it's it's crazy how 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 much attention to detail every panel seems to have in this, and boy was he put to work with all the splash pages. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was nice that there was at least that like what two or three pages where he's like I could just do black like that's <laughs> I, I I get I get a break like those are pages he was paid to turn in. <laughs> <laughs> now he painted those. That's why it took so long. He had to ink all of that with a marker. Oh okay okay. <laughs> So he's, you know, so it's like probably more man hours actually to exactly. get that, that right. totally fully black. <laughs> I really feel like this is one of the best looking single issues of a book that I've ever read, and and easily yeah, one of the to say. one of the best looking like series I've ever read, especially like a mini. You know, um, I, I think this this is a brilliant looking book and. And you know Gary Frank, obviously, but but Brad Anderson, like the the, this, the colors in this book are absolutely phenomenal. Excellent. Every time that there's like an explosion or that someone's face is illuminated by non natural sunlight, it looks fucking incredible. Yeah, like that, like that scene where um where Black Adam gets like electrocuted or not, he gets like phased through. You know, yeah. like that is just so cool. And it's because of, like, how naturalistic the color is, you know? Like, you can see, like, the burn through his chest and how it's, like, illuminating his face and everything. Oh, it's a a master class, really. That one panel where Superman stands in front of the tree uh, to stop the the car. Oh, Oh, my God. Beautiful. Absolutely. How is that even (laughs) real? Like, (laughs) I can't uh, believe it. How how good is the the that it's and it's such a small one too, but the panel where um Ozzy's getting summoned by John, you know, and like you can just see Babasis's eyes 
illuminated, but like its face is obscured is oh my god. It's just so stylish. Yeah, it, it, this it's wild how good this book looks. And I also want to call out uh Superman when he's when he's pissed, when he's Oh mad. my god. Dude that is one of the scariest angry Supermans I've ever seen. I, yeah. I I've, I've said it for years, but Gary Superman is my all-time favorite Superman. Very good. I see why. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, he is something else. Yeah. Um. Just just can't can't really say enough about how gorgeous this book is and has been for twelve issues. Uh, I, I think if there if you have any like doubts about why it was worth the wait even though not all of the wait was for art um when you look at this book like this is why you know because most importantly you can see where the real attention to detail went it went to dr manhattan schlonger rooney (laughs) no underserved i don't even i mean yeah, I don't even know if I would say that it all went there. I'd say it's like his, you know, his butt and his legs too. Like Jesus, the def the definition on this man's ass muscles. Oh my god, this is going I, in a weird direction. In in all seriousness, as as someone who has made uh, a character out of uh, looking for Doctor Manhattan's dong, didn't I didn't actually see it once as I was like I was that into it. <laughs> I didn't either. I never, like, I don't know, I never noticed it. Um, But, yeah, so I'm sure the art will come up more throughout the review, but I just wanted to start this with extremely high praise because I don't know what the rest of you are going to say about this issue, but the one thing I know we all agree on is that it looks really great. Yeah, I I think this book has looked great throughout, and um this issue is obviously no exception but i definitely think it deserves particular praise for landing the plane as well as it does but also because i think it has the most callback stuff and having just read watchmen like that that effect is impressive yeah here here's the main callback before even issue 1 in discussing this book i made the joke that the resolution of this book would be Dr. Manhattan saying to Superman, I don't think anything's worthwhile. And Superman saying, yeah, it is. And Dr. Manhattan's like, whoa, I guess you're right. <laughs> so, well, that's, that's not quite how things end, but uh, close enough. Close enough. Uh, before uh, we get into the, the plot and everything, yeah. did, did any of you guys go back and read the other issues of Doomsday Clock before you No, I read this really one. wanted to, but I didn't I just have couldn't time. get to it. Yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't get to it. I read issue 11, which is the uh, craziness of, of metaverse theory, which helps with this issue, I promise. I believe it. Um, so yeah, let, let's let's jump in. Uh, we, we get... You know the the first meeting between Superman and and Doctor Manhattan, um, <clears throat> and and it's I, I think that when this thing first was talked about, the big worry was oh it's going to be Superman and Doctor Manhattan punching each other, and it's absolutely not that. Uh, it's 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 very close to that. Uh, it's teased that it's that. But that's not what happens. Getting to see these two characters speak to each other for the very first time 
is interesting, but not as interesting as I thought it was going to be. I got to be honest. So I, I feel like that conversation and, and that the dialogue that Phil kind of like alluded to, I wanted more out of it. And I think that this issue overall, I'd say that like I liked this issue, but I feel yeah. like some of the big promises and I guess not really promises, but I guess the assumptions that we made about what the series would be and look like, like weren't totally um, saw through in the way I had hoped for. You know, I think that the conversation or the the interaction between Superman and Dr. Manhattan is something that I would have rather seen be one-on-one and had more room to breathe rather than be as part of the, like, you know, it also was the wrapping up of the series and all of the events that had taken place, you know? And, and I think because of what it needed to be as sort of the end point of the story, you know, as, as the, the, the real like hit moment that kind of takes away from the moment itself and what it could have been, I think. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it was a little underwhelming in like, I, I, I too enjoyed the issue, but I think to what you were laying down P like that, those interactions, I think were, were built up to be a lot more. And I don't think that we necessarily got that or got what, uh, to what you said, like what we were sort of expecting. Um, and I think, I think that it weakens the message of the book overall, but I, I don't know that at least for me, it didn't necessarily impact the overall issue. Um, it still works and it, it still makes sense to the story. I mean, if anything, it's just the, that, that impact was a little lighter. If anything, I, I, I didn't want some kind of, the book did kind of make it seem like it was going to be this, this this kind of chess game which there's a lot of that very blatantly throughout the 12 issues but I, I i feel like when you're someone like dr manhattan like there is no conversation to just kind of change your entire you know metaphysical view of everything so like the the, the framing and paneling of most of their interaction is dr manhattan watching Superman be Superman. You know, he has a chance to have his bell rung by Superman and it it looks that way because he reveals that he's been messing with his life for infinity and had his parents killed just out of curiosity and Superman still doesn't do it uh because that's not really his that's not who he is. He's not a vengeful person. Uh and so that's what Dr. Manhattan sees is this, this person doing everything. And, and it's not just that in the moment. He sees it throughout time. He goes back to the 30s. He goes back to the 50s. And it's just a constant. Like the one thing that differentiates the Watchmen world from, from where he is now is the fact that there is in the panel and, and, and on the page where uh, everything fades to black the last thing that is uh, illuminated is Superman's S and, and that's the essence of, of comic books. And that's what this is all about. I think is, uh, is that hope of comics that is personified by Superman. So while there wasn't this great exchange of dialogue, I didn't need that because I think that would have been really corny and this whole thing is corny to begin with, but that would have been extra corny. 
Yeah, like, I, I definitely see what you're saying, Phil, because I, I don't know that, like, a whole meeting of the minds between them would have necessarily been better, you know? Like, I think us as readers, and especially now having, you know, had the last 11 issues kind of really talking about the differing, you know, like, like presenting kind of the differing philosophies of the Watchmen universe versus the DC universe, and those two things personified between Dr. Manhattan and Superman. It's like, you can kind of... That that subtext, I think, does that, that lifting for you in a lot of ways. And it, it's not as, like, interesting or as satisfying as maybe it could have been, but I also kind of agree with what you're saying where I feel like it's maybe was the better way to air because it's, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't want it to be corny. I don't want it to be that thing that we were afraid it was going to be because it hasn't been that so far. Yeah, Superman's I think it, not a man not of it. words, you know, like he's a man of action and that's what is inspirational is that, you know, like all, like anyone, you know, you take off your suit after work and you can be whatever person you choose to be. And Superman chooses to be someone that helps people and doesn't, you know, he doesn't go around telling you to help people. He just does it. And that's that's what happens here. He just helps people. So, so uh, basically following up on, you know, everything that's been happening, the Superman theory, uh Superman being framed for you know all these uh, all these different things, uh, all the the villains of these other countries converge on Superman's location in New York to try to you know capture or kill him, and Doctor Manhattan watches with an almost religious awe as Superman fights them off, and he does so even though it looks like all hope is lost. And maybe for someone who doesn't know Superman as intimately as Dr. Manhattan does, this would just be regular stuff because he's the one being attacked. So it doesn't it doesn't necessarily like it, it wouldn't necessarily be that inspiring if you just watch someone defend themselves. But when you understand all of what Superman is, and when you consider what Doctor Manhattan has willingly taken from Super Superman, from to still be this way. Remember, Superman was, you know, he he got his his parents taken from him by Doctor Manhattan. The original inspiration of the the Justice Society gets taken. You know, he took all those pieces off the board. The Legion. And Superman is the Legion, uh, and Superman is still Superman. That's 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 a big deal, and it's such a big deal that it makes Dr. Manhattan move away from the binary thought of you're either going to kill me or I'm going to kill everything and make the other choice, which is I'm going to actually intervene here and I'm going to not only stop all of this, but I'm going to undo what I did to make this happen. So... I think the big thing Jeff Johns is trying to do here is Dr. Manhattan is a, is, is, is a stand in for editorial in yeah. that, in that basically he has seen all the different scenarios and worlds and realities and, and whatever that you could put this character through. And when you, when you look at it, that kind of callously Superman is just 
or comical characters in general are just two-dimensional characters that you can just do whatever you want with. Um, and, and, and the idea of like, well, in 2011, we, you know, we killed your parents and we wanted to make you seem more edgy or whatever. Like that's an editorial thing. And that's what Dr. Manhattan's a stand in for. Um, and I think what Jeff is trying to say is when you actually take these characters at face value, like if they're real, real people or real paragons or whatever, um, they are are timeless and no matter what you do to them like however culture shapes these things are so malleable that they shape with culture and and then that's kind of the whole climax here is that no matter what over the decades and centuries and millennia like superman will endure in some form or another and you have panels of him being discovered by by evolving apes from thousands and thousands of years ago to talking about you know whatever editorial crossover and and reboot's going to happen in 5 10 15 years from now and i think that's what he's trying to convey here is like no matter what happens because of messy editorial these characters will endure because of what they represent yeah yeah the and he is that symbol of hope and that is what he represents so like the, the ideas stick out and continue to to grow regardless of where you go in time and regardless of what you do with the characters the the central ideas and central tenets of the character are always there yeah yeah exactly and and, and that's a great concept it, it really is there but but i have some problems all right it <laughs> In the sense that we knew that that's what this was yeah. from the get-go. It was so patently obvious. Not just from what Johns was saying about it, but just from the idea of putting these characters together. We understand that the Watchmen universe is, is, is the cynical allegory for the DCU. It's, you know, it's these characters, but, you know, without the hope attached. And Superman is the paragon of hope in comics. He's going to brighten their day. And that's it. And that's all that Doomsday Clock really was. And I have to say that in retrospect, that doesn't feel like enough. And and, and I want to say this as well. And I hate to say this, but I have to. Watching HBO's Watchmen changed my feelings on doomsday clock a lot yeah. and we're not gonna like make it a whole thing because i know that a lot of us haven't watched it and <coughs> um, this isn't about that <clears throat> me too but it showed what watchmen it showed how much bigger this world can be it it's funny because they actually a- approach very very similar issues and concepts but the way that that show handles them makes you feel like it's not a rehash, it's not a remix, it's actually its own journey. And it has so much more to say than this book does. And Doomsday Clock doesn't really try to say anything politically interesting. You know, all it kind of really says is like, I, I, don't, I don't even really know what it says politically. I mean, it pokes um, fun at Trump a couple of times, but that's about it. Yeah, and... Like, I get the overall narrative of, you know, the cynicism which with, with which this world, our real world, has sort of um, been bathed by is, is not – that's not the way that we're supposed to approach life 
And if we had a Superman, if we had that that force for good, um, you know, we all need to be that force for good. Like, I get all that. But every single Superman story is that. I think the issue with Doomsday Clock, I mean, for me, when it comes down to it, and this this goes into uh, what you're saying about the Watchmen series, is is the is the uh, the delays and you know I, I i get that you can't you can't help that for you know for whatever reason but for me like by the time doomsday clock 12 came around i i done finished a whole you know re reread of the watchman book plus the show and i just my my view on watchman is so radically different from what it was when i started this series sure from, this, from issue 11 to now yeah 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 the this that's a great point sean <laughs> this this series feels it feels very one note uh and it's like like yeah that's it's good thanks <laughs> it's cool we got to see some really great art but like I just like it it it's use of the um of of Watchmen as a commentary on comic books feels like only that. Like there's nothing else in there. I think yeah, I think that is kind of the point of it, you know? And I don't know, I I don't know that that's a bad thing. But I think I guess I wanted more from it, and I think that there were points where I thought that it was going to be more than that, more than like kind of just the sum of its parts. And I think that is kind of what it comes down to. Is it's it's interesting that this issue came out like right around the time that Star Wars did, um, because I, obviously I don't we don't want to get into that, but. I think it, I feel kind of similarly about both of them now that they're said and done where I I like both of the series and I think that there are things that they do well and I think that there are times where it feels like there's a lot of um, well-placed respect for the source material that it's trying to build on but ultimately it feels like a missed opportunity you know and it feels like something that kind of lives in the shadow of this other greater thing that was a, you know, um, that was a, a unique moment in pop culture. That was something that was really significant. And that's what we're trying to recapture. And I feel like that's kind of where I've netted out with Doomsday Clock. It's it's good and it's very well executed, especially the art. And I think that there are a lot of really, really great issues of it, you know, and I, I stand by my enjoyment of those issues. But... I don't think that it's anywhere near as substantive as Watchmen, you know, and you kind of want it to be like, or why bother? And I haven't seen the Watchmen show, but I edited a number of the, uh, the episodes of We Watched Watchmen and like knowing what you guys feel about it and what it's trying to do with the brand in terms of like just moving forward. And, and doing something else and talking about something new rather than, you know, uh, the same stuff with some bells and whistles and new faces, you know? And and that's that's kind of 
what I feel like we ultimately got here. And I think that they that Johns definitely did try to do that, especially at the beginning where you know he started introducing new characters that I think we all generally really liked. Um, yeah, yeah, and and new concepts, but none of it was none of it was innovative on uh, innovated on. Like it was all like, okay, cool, we're introducing these characters. These all feel really good in the world. It makes sense within the world, but what does that necessarily say and extend beyond? what was going to be, you know, this larger culmination that affects the DC universe. And it was just, okay, cool. He did stuff. It reset. It, it, it hit my frustration of superhero shit. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause like that didn't, like you said, I don't feel like that was where we were going earlier on. But like when you get to the point where it's like, Oh, like the comedian's back, but not really for any reason other than for us to give you like a very like fan servicey moment. Like that feels like very superhero-y, just big comic shit, you know? Like not the follow-up to Watchmen. Right. I think the big question is why why even use the Watchmen ultimately? For this, because or for, for Dr. Manhattan and Superman to have this... Did it have to be Dr. You know, Manhattan? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because... Look, Doctor Manhattan is is very much the antithesis of Superman, and I think that in a lot of ways that was deliberately done by Alan Moore. Uh, yeah, for sure. He's he's a, a man that becomes a, a a god. Superman is a god that becomes a man, and there's a lot of important comic stuff in there when you analyze these two characters juxtaposed to one another so i think that that is relevant and up until it really issue 11 i was completely sold and on board with all of the things that were happening i really like had no problems with this series um but with issue 11 like it just that just felt like a like an info dump and it just didn't feel like a good issue overall. I do think this issue is good. But I think I think that it it thinks that the revelation not the revelations, but the the talking points that it presents are way more new than they are. Cause they're not new. Because they were they were spoken on by the creator of the book two years ago. And we already get it. So it's hard to feel what I'm supposed to feel when every single thing that's laid down here is what I was told I was going to feel anyway. I guess. And, and like you said, it's it's not like a particularly new or, or nuanced thing to say that Superman is a symbol of hope, you know, or that the world is cynical and that we should all try to be less cynical, you know? And, and you know what I mean? Like that's such a, that's such a familiar story. Yeah. And I'm sorry, just one more thing. And, and I, I agree with you, Sean. I think it probably did have to be Watchmen to be executed in the way that it was as like this kind of internal commentary on like comics, but also DC comics. And I think it's effective at that, but how worth it is doing that? The thing is, 
this idea has been done and the, the, the thing that always comes to, the example that comes to mind is superman beyond by grant morrison during final crisis which is a story about the same exact thing but done a lot better Th- that being said let's talk about what it is that dr manhattan ends up doing what he ends up feeling and what what it what it means and 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 this is another area where my problems come in yep so like i like i said dr manhattan is inspired by superman's actions to the point where he allows himself to be an actor dr manhattan is notoriously lazy and not willing to intervene <laughs> in anything at all I very much like the characterization of him as lazy. Like it's not it's not that he's like above it all. He's just like I don't fucking feel like helping. Like <laughs> he is he is a bad god. He he is Yeah. Not bad in the sense of like his character, just bad in the sense that he has all this power. He doesn't do anything with it. He's apathetic. It. Right. And even in this issue, Superman tells him, you know, whoever you are, help these people, and he says, I don't help you. Um, because he already knows what happens and he knows that that's not a part of what happens, which frustrates a lot of people, but that's Dr. Manhattan's character. What forces him into action is this inspiration of seeing a a, a person who's willing to stand up for good in the face of absolutely anything, even to the point of defending Dr. Manhattan when he might have been under attack. He doesn't care who it is. He will. He will do his best to save them. That's very great. That's 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 awesome. I like that. The problem is that Doctor Manhattan could have already known that that's who Superman was. He could have seen every single moment of Superman's history to know that that's who Superman was, and therefore he didn't need to do all this to begin with. On top of that, we get this really cool uh you know sequence where superman or dr manhattan rejiggers reality and um pushes forward basically a new reality and that's that's a problem for me because i didn't know that this this was a crisis and it it very much ends up becoming a crisis style moment where we see the rebooted dc universe again and in that we get this very weird in my opinion very weird uh you know internal monologue that dr manhattan is on about superman and about what he is doing to change the timeline and how the metaverse works and i didn't like there's nothing i wanted less than for dr manhattan to explain to me how the metaverse works yeah that was my least favorite part of the issue. And there were moments where Super where Manhattan is saying things that just that just made me feel like they gave me douche chills. He says, It is January 2026. The timeline is restored and Earth 5G is born. Really? <laughs> yeah, but that's that's really? one, that's oh one of the things I, I was talking about with like the, the delays and stuff. We've already we've known about that for months and with right. like we're not the, supposed to to be fair did, didn't they just announce it at um same this is uh, the, whatever the last big fucking thing was this is the first time that dc has specifically acknowledged 5g 
It's never been acknowledged. Oh, that by was DC. yeah. We learned about that from like a bleeding cool article or something. Yeah. Right? Oh. Yeah, it's the worst kept secret in in comics right now. Man, it's a just little, this, good old fashioned comics journalism. This this book ended up being behind on so many things. Like I was so excited about the Legion, and that time has long <laughs> since come and gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it you know I like it just it just feels very much like all right, gotta get us. To where we need to go. So these next five pages, they're just gonna be that. And I really, really hate it when event books do that. It makes me less interested in what's coming than more interested. Do you, Do you think editorial stepped in on this? No. Really? I yeah. yeah I think uh, this was end game. Yeah, I think this was the original intent. I think it just feels weird now because we knew all this shit. If it would feel weird if I didn't know. I don't want to read Dr. Manhattan saying Earth 5G. That sounds insanely stupid. Yeah, especially just because, I don't know, like, I I want this to feel like a thing that stands alone, not a thing that was a place in time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels too, it feels too connected to the works that it's trying to, like, elevate and that, to the extent that it just kind of circles back and, like, crashes back into it. But yeah, and also just, like, too connected to the modern like editorial like because it's like in 20 30 years when people try to go back and read this book like people are gonna say what sean's saying you know it's like the the term douche chills will you know echo through the annals of time um (laughs) but and i i feel like that's so whack because watchmen isn't like that at all and like i don't want it to be this thing that's just like and then Dr. Manhattan established the new status quo of the DC universe. It's like, why? And then he's talking about Thor, like the secret crisis. Like, I don't want to read Jeff Johns's like weird thoughts about what could be. He's like, man, remember Amalgam? Amalgam was cool, guys. Let's do that again. <laughs> like that is like I get that it's just one one panel, but it just boggles my mind how like Jeff Johns, a writer who I have a ton of respect for, thought it made sense to have Doctor Manhattan talking about Thor and 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 and, and the Hulk. Like, what and are you the doing? Gr- uh, the Green Behemoth. The Hulk is trademark. Thank I'm you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. You mean Swamp Thing? <laughs> Imagine. Um, <laughs> Yo, if Marco is a wrestler, his name would be the Green Behemoth. Hey. Weird. But but then like. I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm talking a lot, but I'm trying to get us, you know, where we need to go. Uh, but then, like, characters like like Reggie, right? The new Rorschach, who, for all of us, was one of the most interesting characters of the whole, uh, you know, book. Especially the first half. He's kind of sidelined. You know? Myvan Marionette, kind of sidelined. All these characters that we really enjoyed. Ozzy. That made Ozzy sidelined. Um... And, and, like, I loved Reggie. You know, I want more Reggie. I yep, love yeah. where he ends up. I will say that. I think that this issue um, does do some interesting things with him. Reggie kind of um, decides that he's not out for revenge. He's out for, for justice and just wants Ozzy to serve time um, for what he did, you know, in Reggie's home world. And, again, echoes of, of HBO's Watchmen. I really love that. Um, but Reggie didn't feel important. 
he he hasn't felt important in a long time. It diminished this this impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I I feel that way in general about the new characters. Like Marco called that out in the beginning. That was one of the things that we really connected with early on was that a lot of these new characters were interesting and we wanted to follow them and we wanted to see more of them. And I, I feel like in the grand scheme of things, like none of them had a really major effect on the plot. You know, Reggie doesn't really do anything. Um, like he alerts Batman to the crisis, but Batman isn't really involved that much, you know, um, like him coming to this universe and spreading the information and going to jail and all that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't all said and done. It, it, it's inert, you know, it's like, it's like that, um, that fan bit about like Indiana Jones where it's just like, ultimately like he didn't achieve anything. Cause like the Nazis would have just opened the arc and died anyway. So it's like, that's kind of what where we're at. Like it's like at the end of the day, like Ozzy is the only person who mattered, and anybody else was just a pawn in in that scheme. And even him, by the end of it, is kind of inert. Like he's not really a part of the conflict, you know. Um, which is fine, I guess, but it, it it makes it feel like why did we even bother like spending so much time with some of this stuff if it wasn't going to go anywhere, you know? Especially with the comedian, I feel like that is was such a like. It feels so fan service. Like it was just to do it, not to have it mean anything. Especially the comedian, because the comedian is a character that, you know, you spend time with in the original Watchmen, but not a ton of time. And he's mostly there to be that guy that shows you, like, how cynical and how screwed up that world is, and to call out, you know, BS. But in this book, he doesn't even have that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he had more of a role dead in Watchmen than he did in this book alive. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, he's he's the entire catalyst for yep. Watchmen, the series. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. And he and, and in this thing, he we assumed he was going to serve a similar purpose, a catalyst for something to which, again, he just gets brought right back into the same world. It just it careens back in on itself. Uh, I will say the paneling by uh, by Je- uh, by uh, Gary Frank of him falling again was really good though. Yeah, that was good. Oh yeah, yeah. That it's very well executed scene for sure. Um, also, uh, it's a really goofy moment, but I did really love when Lex Luthor shot him and was just like, "You're a fucking asshole" or whatever. Like that was that was hilarious. Like. But like, it was so stupid, but like, I just love the idea of Lex Luthor being like, I don't usually curse, but fuck the comedian. <laughs> all, all, all that was just like, what was that for? <laughs> I have no idea. What did Lex actually do there? Like, or like again, like what? Like why is Lex even in this? Yeah. Like at the end yeah. of the day, his entire storyline is that Lois Lane talks to him in prison, and then. Things happen. <laughs> that, I don't know, man. It's so weird. <laughs> that gun actually um, is from uh, Swamp Thing. It, oh. I, I've been trying to find the issue. It's uh, what they he uses to initially like kill him and remove the vibrational spectral pattern from Earth and send him into Wait, space. Lex does that. Mm-hmm. On to Swamp oh, Thing. Wow. Yeah, to Swamp Thing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Why? What was he trying to? Was he trying to? Well, just get him uh, well, off the board. He was trying to, to bring Watchmen into the into the 
you know the the regular DC universe and something attacks uh, Gotham City and Lex Luthor like tries to stop him. So one one thing that I that I really did like we've talked a lot about what we didn't like. Uh, one thing that I really did like also Was the art. <laughs> it, it, it does also involve Reggie and this idea that there's always another choice to make. And I really appreciated the fact that it's sim- similar to Dr. Manhattan's choice is that, you know, Reggie could kill Ozzy or he could, you know, not kill him, but not kill him for, you know, we- reasons of weakness rather than strength. Um, but here we, we get him making another choice. We get him choosing not to seek revenge for all the, the trauma and pain and, and, and chaos, but to, to seek justice. And you can't have justice without truth. And Ozzy's whole story in Watchmen is built, is predicated on this big lie, right? Like this big, um, you know, he saved the world, but it's all a lie, you know, as to the the mechanics of that and we see that in the doomsday or in doomsday clocks future watchmen uh that goes bad that goes so badly that you know the world ends um and this decision that reggie makes is a redemption of all of that in conjunction with dr manhattan's choice to save the watchman world to to bring it back uh i really felt like that was um that was a really nice thematic touch on the part of John's, you know, to, to say like, hey, you, you don't have to always, you're not locked into the two choices. It's not just Republican or Democrat. It's not just this one or that one. You know, um, we all inside of us have the ability to choose. And to see Dr. Manhattan, a character who never makes decisions, actually do that, I like that. Yeah, it's effective. And I feel like that's also kind of echoed in the, the way that Mime and Marionette's story plays out too where it's like now they're in this new world with a new start and they can have a, a, a clean try at like being a family i i think ultimately that that's that's what jeff was trying to say is you're not <clears throat> you're not locked into a simple binary of choices and that's what superman kind of proves to dr manhattan is that you know everything you're seeing it's it doesn't have to be that limited and so this kind of linear timeline is really just a giant web of possible timelines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I really love that, that statement. Uh, and then we, we see what Dr. Manhattan chooses to do with himself after, you know, post doomsday clocks events. Um, he, he says, he says that, uh, to, to mime and marionette he's not giving them their kid <laughs> um they're gonna have another kid and they'll be fine they'll have another shot that but was that, like i'm just gonna i'm out. just gonna i'm just gonna steal your baby don't worry about it i'll give you another yep. one. it's like oh no, no i know i promised i would give you your child back but i have interest in its future so tough break i'm god bye <laughs> yeah uh rough <laughs> he talks about his his anchor and we see Carver Coleman again. And I actually really loved the Carver Coleman stuff yeah, in the prior issues. Yeah. And I, I love the way that it's resolved here. We see that um, Manhattan 
changes what what we knew to be the case to give him a, a better end. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. But we also, yeah, that was actually that. nice. We also see Manhattan with this child, the child of Mime and Marionette, and he's trying to give him the life that Manhattan never had. If if Manhattan is a bad god, it's probably because he never had parents like Superman had. He he never had guidance. He never had anyone to really steer him in the right direction or to be a hopeful person. I really, I really love how like the thesis statement of Superman is. It's like it's all about nurture, baby. It's like your parents are so responsible for how you turn out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and he, he, so he does that. He does what his parents didn't do for him. He shows him the world. He shows him beauty. Uh, he shows him Mars. He does all these things, and then he gives him his powers, and he disappears he sends him to live with uh the the hollises yeah who of course are laurie and dan from watchmen they have a daughter and now they have a son clark so essentially he gave the watchmen world their superman um i i i didn't expect that it was so out of left field and it's so nutty that I actually liked it. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I liked it too. I wasn't crazy about it. Yeah, same. But why? What was that, Kayla? You weren't crazy about it? I wasn't crazy about it. I It just, like, for me, it it sort of hit on the same notes of everything else. It's just like, uh, and especially after just reading Watchmen, I was just like, but... I don't think that's where these characters are. So it just didn't work for me. You don't think that's where these characters are in what regard? Uh, Dan and um, Laurie. Uh, You know, somewhere happily with a family making pancakes on a Sunday morning. that That choice didn't resonate with me for those characters. Well... I think maybe if Dr. Manhattan hadn't just done, you know, this massive reboot, I would agree. But he clearly, like, altered a lot of things. Because the implication that I got, maybe you guys felt differently from me, is that the Watchmen world essentially ended. Um, And he undid that. So, however they're living now is not necessarily how they were living before. I yeah, I I didn't get that at all. So yeah, th- that was that was definitely my read on it too, Sean. Is that he established a new status quo in that universe because obviously, like it it was over. Yeah, know, and it, it it everyone was already dead, so he had to rebuild that world in a new image. So whether he turned the clock back or rebuilt everything from the ground up like i guess he created a world where they do have a happily ever after rather than you know what seems like maybe a more natural endpoint from where things end in watchmen proper yeah another moment that i deeply loved was dr manhattan daydreaming about what could have been with him and janie if he never went into the um 
uh, the chamber. Yeah, I I love. I mean, like I think in general, seeing him have humanity is like really nice. You know, like it, it it's um. That was one of the things in, in our Watchmen book club that we talked about so much uh, is is just that kind of what a, what a tragic character he is, you know, that he gradually loses his humanity over like a number of years before he's just so disconnected from the world that he can't, you know, see the forest for the trees and seeing him kind of reclaim a little bit of that through Superman was, I think... That that was, I think, well executed. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, this is it. This is it. Uh, it's over. And so, I guess all that's really left is to speak on, you know, how we feel ultimately about the series. Was it worth it? Was it worth dredging up? You know, Watchmen, which of course for a lot of people is, you know, the Holy Grail. It's not something to be done. Um, you know, was it worth the delays? You know, does this series stick the landing? Does it, does it, you know, is it good? I think in, in light of everything, and, and that's considering the, the show now, which to your point, like, you know, from even issue 11 to 12 is sort of affected reviewing or reading of this, um, <clears throat> trying to, trying to take that out. I think it was up to this issue, uh, a solid, a solid series. It was something that we had looked forward to every week. Something that I think that I, I really enjoyed in terms of the writing. Um, but I think the payout, the payoff here was light. Um, I don't know necessarily that it was worth two years of waiting. Like, I feel like they could have really, really gotten the book done and released. Like, we didn't have to necessarily go through this. Um, again, comic cycles and issues within that. But, but that aside, I mean, it was it was fine. Like, it was a good it was a good book. And that's sort of where it ended up. It, it, the last issue, I think, for me, prevented it from being a really great series and like a really something that really had uh, poignance and a and a message. Before anyone else goes on, I'd like to add that uh, in an interview recently, Jeff John said that originally he pushed hard for this series to come out in April instead of um, November. He wanted it out in no, uh, April of twenty eighteen instead of November of 2017, but DC really, really wanted November, and because of that decision, uh, the delays came about. Yep. Yep. And, and, and I mean, I feel like we had that not, had that not happened and had the book come out in that, you know, more concise time, I think that would have definitely changed my, my reading of it, because... Okay, uh, outside of it just being a different headspace, you know, we hadn't seen the the aftermath of the the show as well. Huh. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think it's tough because I I I'd argue that if the overall quality was where we wanted it to be, the quality of the show would have no bearing on it. 
You know, like it might have made you feel differently about it after the fact being like, this is better. And I liked how they did it better. But I, I think if it if it had really stuck the landing on, on, on the promise of the earlier issues, I, I don't even feel like that would be up for debate, you know, yeah. because it, it would be objective. It would be, oh, well, it stands alone and it's good for its own reasons. And this is good for its own reasons, you know. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's quite there. Uh, but that being said, I think my overall feelings about Doomsday Clock, I want to read it again, I think, before I can really answer, like, how I feel about it as a piece overall. Yeah. But in terms of my experience reading it as a monthly reader and reading it as it came out, I think it, it feels very akin to kind of how I've come down on, like, uh, Game of Thrones by the end of it, where it's like... Even if the landing isn't good, like that doesn't negate the enjoyment I got out of the journey, you know, because there are a lot of good issues in Doomsday Clock. I would argue most of them are good issues. And the art, you know, we've talked about how good it is. Like it's great. And it was a, re a really enjoyable read for a long time. And I think that delays did hurt it. I think that uh, the existence of new Watchmen media that might have more to say and that's be better executed also hurt it. But I, I think that the problem is that the last two issues are not as good as the first 10. And that's a problem. And like I said, I want to read it again, especially having just reread Watchmen. I'd like to read it in one sitting and see how I feel about it after that relook. But I think it's it's okay. It's good, not great. And I think the the earlier issues led... A few of us, me, I know specifically to think that, you know, oh, well, we won't care about the delays when it's over because it'll it'll be the quality will be there, you know, and that like the story and what it has to say will be so well executed that in hindsight, none of those things will matter. Those aren't the things you'll think about. You'll think about how good it was. And now I actually don't know that we'll think that. I think that we might think about, man, what a two years that was watching that for it to kind of end with a whimper. And that sucks. But, you know, that's why I kind of make that Game of Thrones comparison, because it was one of those things that was, it's a cultural phenomenon, and then now it's a punchline. And I feel like Doomsday Clock has veered into that territory, which is a shame, because at its heights, it's, it was a really, really excellent book. And, and to that, I think, uh, to your point on like it not negating the, uh, your enjoyment, I think, I think this issue at least like, sort of recontextualizes it a bit. Yeah, that's fair. Kale? For me, I think the the overall question that I've sort of been putting forward is, will they land the plane for this to be, you know, a legitimate sequel to Watchmen in whatever fashion? And I think, I think for me, I think overall the answer is, yeah, but I think, I think it's messy. It's not a clean landing. You know, they brought down the landing gear too late or something, you know, skidded, skidded onto a mountain path and not the runway or, or something. It's, I don't think this is going to be, I don't think this is even going to be memorable necessarily. I think it it's going to be a, a book that people, that people probably will tout in, in bookstores and, and talk about occasionally, but I don't think it's going to be for the reasons that we really, really wanted it to be. 
Um, and I think I, I think the thing that really elevates it is the art. Um, so uh, I don't know. I similar to Pete, I would very much like to to revisit uh, the series as a whole. Um, but I think um, I don't know. Mostly, what I can say about it is I'm kind of glad it's over. <laughs> I'm I'm done with it now. Phil. It was, I think it was good, um, all in all. I, I, I do think it was messy, though, and I think that's a pretty appropriate way of describing it. I think if you told me in the abstract that this is a book about uh, contrasting a deconstruction of comic books with comic books for face value, and it ends with um, a thesis of, of how important Superman is to the point that it the deconstruction then gets their own Superman. I think that's kind of interesting. I'm into it. I like it. And I think Jeff messily took us there, but uh, all in all, I think this is, I think it's a good book. The thing that sticks in my craw a little bit is I think this is a good Superman book. And the question is, is it a good Watchmen book? And the answer with that is, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it's worth making a good Superman book at the expense of Watchmen, for instance. Um, uh, but I think when you make a Superman recommended reading list, this book will come up for good reason in that regard. But in the same way we think about before Watchmen... You know, this is, I, I feel like this book might, you know, just be. I've already seen people making fun of the ending of this book. There, there was a scene from the show The Simpsons 15 years ago where Alan Moore was on an episode and Milhouse wanted him to sign oh. his copy of Watchmen Babies. And that's yeah. what we got at the end was a Watchmen baby. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Simpsons has done it. Yeah, again, Simpsons does it. I think that this is a series that was great for 90% of its run. And so for me, even if I didn't like absolutely adore the ending, that's still not going to shake my belief that this was worth doing and that it was a very, very strong series. Is it, um, is it a good Watchmen story? I don't know. I think there's one Watchmen story, right? Um, everything else after that is something else. But I think it redeems the Watchmen characters. Ozzy really does save the world here. Doctor Manhattan becomes a good god for the first time. So I think the hopefulness of Superman is so powerful that it actually impacts these characters that that are that are hopeless and i really love that not just as a statement on superman but um as a statement on these characters i'd rather my last thoughts about dr manhattan be positive than not and now i have two different versions of a future a watchman future where that is the case um and so i'm really happy with that and i think that in that regard um jeff johns was very successful i think that the vehicle 
And I think that some of the things that he tried to do uh, didn't work as much as he probably would have liked. That's a problem, I think, with comics in some ways and what he was restricted to. Um, But I also think that his vision was a little bit limited. And, you know, that's okay. Um, Because it is what it is. This is the story he wanted to tell. And I will reread this and I will look back on Doomsday Clock fondly. Because this reminds me... Because it's good, but also because it reminds me of a time in comics that I don't really get to have anymore where you look forward to every single issue with bated breath and you're taken on a journey that feels relevant. And so if we don't talk about this series in 10 years, all right, well, I had this moment. Yeah. And I'm really happy about that. And I'm proud of the work that we did with this book. And um, so for that reason, those reasons alone, I'm never going to forget it. I'll, I'll never forget that Comic-Con, I guess it was 2017, when you came out of the Doomsday Clock panel with the black and white Yeah, the teaser. ash can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the ash can. And that was, like, such a moment, you know? Like, I remember being so excited, you know? Yeah. It's one of the coolest things that, that ever happened to me in Comic-Con. And it happened because of this book and these creators and this idea and this vision that, for a lot of people, will feel like a corporate mandate, but it's not. This was what Jeff wanted to do. This was his idea from the beginning and I respect it a lot. And so my final statement is I love doomsday clock despite its flaws. And I look forward to being able to read this again. And I'm always going to love it. Also, so, baby, are you going to read it again? Are you guys ready for the secret crisis? Get out of here. Yeah, boy. Excited for that. It's a secret crisis. My life crisis, is a secret crisis, 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 whatever. That's not such a secret, Pete. That's Yikes. <laughs> anyway, that is our review of Doomsday Clock. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts about Doomsday Clock number 12 and the overall story of Doomsday Clock. There's a chance that we might you know, do some more Doomsday Clock related stuff in the future. Uh, because we all obviously are very interested in rereading it. So if you guys want us to do a, you know, an overall analysis of the 12 issues, let us know. And that's something that we can bring to you. Um, but otherwise, that's going to do it for this episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, of course, you guys can find us all over the Internet at the Comics Pals um, on social media. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, thank you very much. Hit that subscribe button so that you can know when we drop all of our content over here and the notification bell so that you're actually alerted of when that stuff goes down. And uh, check out our book clubs. We have a Watchmen book club that is out right now for you guys to listen to. So you can listen to that. You can listen to this. You can listen to our reviews of HBO's Watchmen. If you are just in Watchmen mode like we are, there's a lot of content for you to check out so uh yeah please do and uh thank you very much let's do some plugs pete thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to connect with me i'm at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram uh if you want to get the rest of my work you can go visit me at peteandbessie.com or head over to loopots.com where i host their weekly nintendo podcast the Potscast, or uh our patreon exclusive show after dark um so yeah if you want some more content from me i'm all over the place uh so come come talk to me Oh, and Happy New Year. This is the last one of the year. See you next, see you next year, babies. Is it? Right?
Yeah, no? it's gonna be the last one. Well, not, we we don't go into the no. new year on it, but it's gonna be the last one. That's no, 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 no. We get the thirtieth. No, no. Do yeah. we? Oh, oh. Yes. oh, oh snap! Well, now I look like a fool. What else is new? Well, okay, that's go ahead. Next, next guy. <laughs> Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W. Uh, you can also listen to my podcast I do with my lovely wife, Jessica Burton, uh, called Gone Global. You can find that at anchor.fm slash gone global or on my website where you can see everything else I do, kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Jess is that nice uh, British lady, right? That's the one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Not the other All one. All right. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Enomoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the Watchmen Book Club will be dropping tomorrow on Tuesday. Oh, and, Tuesday, my bad. And um, stay tuned for next month's. Uh, should we announce it? We can announce it, right? Yeah, we want okay. to read along. So Life story! So go check that out. It's going to be dropping. Uh, Pete did a great job on it. And oh, thanks. Yeah. Spider-Man life story to be clear. Spider-Man life story, yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. Spider-Man life story. Spider-Man life story. It's a good I book. Fu- you should read it. I fucking forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Phil? Uh, You can check out my podcast I do with Kale's wife. It's called Gone Local, where we just talk about uh, things that we buy locally. (laughs) It's about locally sourced and ethical vegetables. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So... uh, Stupid bit. <laughs> it's December twenty second, twenty nineteen. I'm Definitely. sitting through another terrible outro. <laughs> Definitely not where I thought that was gonna go at all. <laughs> so clean. That's a <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just about um you know, buying locally and and at Cyborg Bebop, let's go! Come on, <laughs> you heard it, you heard it. All right, uh, that's where you can find me on social media. <laughs> don't go looking. All right, are you done? Mm-hmm. Sure am. <laughs> okay. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about Doomsday Clock and Watchmen. I feel like there's a void in me now. Because of how full I've been with these uh, series, and they're all over at the same time, and it's kind of a bummer. Uh, and also Jean Grey, because why not? Um, <laughs> it's actually Jean Grey Day. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, every day is Jean Grey for you. Every day is Jean Grey Day. I just want to um, make sure this comes out clearly. Nobody gets to talk over it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. I'm referencing a bit from earlier in the episode. Isn't that funny?